Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige film. Today, we're talking about The Untouchables. It's a 1987 crime film directed by Brian De Palma, who's directed some mega hits, Carrie, Scarface, Mission Impossible, Carlito's Way, career-spanning decades, written by David Mamet. You might recognize his name. He was, uh, uh, won a Tony and a Pulitzer for the play, later adapted into the movie Glengarry Glenn Ross. He's also wrote in, uh, written Hoffa, Wag the Dog, and Hannibal, based on The Untouchables by Elliot Ness and Oscar Frawley. Uh, Elliot Ness's memoirs released shortly after his death. It stars Kevin Costner. Oh boy, he's my favorite. Dances with Wolves, Field of Dreams, Waterworld. He really lights up the screen in this one. Sean Connery won an Oscar for this film. Of course, you'll know him as the original James Bond. He's also a Russian captain in Hunt for Red October. A crazy science fiction dude in Zardoz. Always with a Scotch accent, even if he's an Irish cop. Yep, yep. Robert De Niro, especially if he's a Russian subcommander. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, uh, you'll know him from Godfather Part Two, Casino, Goodfellas, Raging Bull, tons of stuff. Andy Garcia got his kind of start, if not his start, his his prominence in this role. He also was in Godfather Part Three, and we just saw him in Ocean's Eleven. Billy Drago uh, plays a hitman in this. We just saw him in Pale Rider. One of the villains there. And Patricia Clarkson. We just saw her in The Green Mile, but also she was amazing as an evil mother in Sharp Objects back in 2018, I believe, on HBO. Uh, I've seen this movie a bunch. Hmm. Um, I'm curious. I know you've seen it at least at least <laughs> once because you watched it with me about 15 years ago or 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh what what what's your experience with this movie? What do you think of it, Jim? I'm trying to think, that might be the only time I've seen it before, uh, and I have such a vague recollection of the movie. There there are like maybe two scenes that I remember from that viewing. Uh, so this was like a whole fresh experience for me, honestly. Um, and I don't know. Uh, I will say. I thought this movie was good, not great. Um, If you're looking for the gangster film told from the cop's point of view, there are much better movies on the subject. There's The Departed. There's uh, Donnie Brasco. There's American Gangster. Um, Like... Mm -hmm. There's a, you could do much better than this film for its subject matter, uh, at least in that regard. I don't know about the Elliot Ness stuff. I know it's not super historically accurate. Uh, it's kind of just a yeah, very fictionalized tale of the Elliot Ness Al Capone uh, showdown in Chicago. But for what it is, it's entertaining. I I came away from it going, okay, I I see why people like this movie. If not, uh, you know, why people are winning Oscars for this movie. But sure. Yeah, I it's funny because I would used to think this was one of my favorite films Um, and a younger man. I think it was. I just really was attracted to like the father son kind of surrogate role between uh, Kevin Costner and Sean Connery. I thought Andy Garcia was really cool. I thought the dialogue Mm -hmm. was really crackling. I thought it was a really good Al Capone uh sh- such a great period piece and and they did such a great job of turning real life chicago into you know 19 late 1920s early 1930s chicago um and really got kind of like the some of the dialogue i thought was really entertaining um 
And I remember watching it about four years ago with my wife and we were like trying to think of something. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to see something really cool and badass. Do you, do you want to watch this uh, Untouchables with me? And she like fell asleep halfway through it. And I was hmm. kind of miffed. But then I'm like, I don't remember this movie being so fucking slow. And it's hmm. pacing and whatnot uh, outside of its set pieces. And then like, are all of the set pieces good? Um, I don't know. I, I when I watch I watched this this morning and I just realized that like there are scenes that sparkle and crackle. There is some really good dialogue, but there's a surprising mm-hmm. amount of like what feels like paint by numbers and pretty for a De Palma film for a guy who brought us the high wire act of Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible and, you know, the incredible violence of Scarface. This feels kind of plotting um in a lot of places and it yeah. might it also might just track back to i don't know that kevin costner is a really good actor yeah. i think he's very handsome <laughs> he's got great sure. hair he's sure. tall he looks he good is. in a suit he's like harrison ford minus all of that man's emotional charm uh, emotional connection charm and acting skill yeah, it's real apparent every time he goes face to face on screen with Robert De Niro, who is just a lightning rod of intensity. Um, sure. That the Kevin Costner cannot in any way measure up to him as an actor. Yeah. And he's just like he messes like I there's like some great lines where he's like throwing a dude off a building and there's this badass line. But I feel like I don't know whether the editing steps on it or Costner couldn't rise to the moment, but he's given some stuff where. I just feel like if he rose to where Sean Connery was at, or as you said, Robert De Niro, um, it would be like like almost anyone. They they mentioned like that like I think Kevin Costner was the, their tenth person they tried to get. <laughs> yeah, I saw. Him. Look like at listen Jack to this. Nicholson, yeah, Mickey Rourke, Jeff Bridges, William Hurt, Harrison Ford, Michael Douglas. Like I'm thinking. Jack Nicholson was one of the ones that uh, I think was the last that they arrived on before he got replaced by Kevin Costner. I think any mm-hmm. of those six people would be a huge upgrade. Some of them massive like Harrison Ford in this role. Yeah. Yeah. If he's bringing his Air Force One intensity to this, certainly. When was this made in connection with uh, the rate um, the last crusade? Because he's also got off the charts charisma with mm. uh, Sean Connery and it's uh-huh. a surrogate father role instead of an actual father role. God damn that. That might be a whole different <laughs> ball game. But as it is, I think Could that be. like the Kevin Costner gives a very sleepy performance and this is a pretty sleepy film. And I think it's going to be controversial. This is a very well regarded film. Uh, it's in the high 80s on Rotten Tomatoes. It's almost universally acclaimed. And I was feeling like maybe I'm just insane. And as I do right before, like 15 minutes ago, I always see what Roger has to say. And old Roger gave this movie two stars and says this movie's kind of boring and it's Al Capone yeah. kind of sucks. And it's like, I'm like, all right, all right. I'm not completely insane. Yeah, no, I and I found moments of it to be a little cringy with how over the top they are that baby carriage scene man in union station is a fucking joke i was laughing out loud at most of it because of how i mean it's it's fully three quarters the runtime of this entire film i think it's an hour and a half long in that one shot and and it's just it's all like slow-mo of a baby falling downstairs yeah it uh, is and everybody's reaction to it right and using human long. shields and yeah Tough it's choice it's kind of ridiculous 
uh, that scene, which I think was not how it played in 1990. I don't know. I've, I've just seen such better tellings of these types of stories. Well, you know what the other thing is, is when I think of Al Capone, I'm going to see if you can guess. Who do you think I think of? Uh, I can't think of his name, but the guy from Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, you, you got it. Stephen Graham. And I don't think that De Niro's a bad Al Capone, but when you get to see, like, I think uh, Stephen Graham really personifies, like, how gregarious he was and how charming he was, but how also that could turn on a dime into like mm-hmm. crazy violence and paranoia and conspiracy conspiratorial thinking and I, I it's not that De Niro does a bad job that's the one thing I guess I disagreed in Roger Ebert's review uh and maybe it's like the thing yeah. is is Roger Ebert is a Chicagoan and like do they study Al Capone <laughs> like most people study George Washington in grade school I don't know uh-huh, but he had some fucking uh-huh. opinions on how the man should be portrayed and you know the De Niro I guess wasn't wasn't cutting it. I thought he did a great job. I think really the big weaknesses here are a little bit of script, everything outside of those big set pieces where you can tell Mamet's like oh yeah, it's going to be fucking cool feels very underwritten. Um Yeah. And yeah. and that's just especially the, the thing, end there there's a moment a couple of moments in the end that I'm just like those are those are not nearly the climax I was hoping for, but right. Well, and that's we'll like, how do you make, him. they actually nail Al Capone on tax evasion. It's boring, way more sure. boring than this yeah. is. Elliot Ness's squad had nothing to do with that part of the case. Right. They were, they were like a way to sort of break down his organization. So he couldn't pay his, his, uh, his payoffs. Right. Um, yeah. so they can start to prosecute him there. It's yeah, it's wild how little this has to do with the actual, story that that happened there and i guess that's what's wild is you you base this on elliot ness's own memoirs and you essentially throw all that out none of the major players none of the major characters Mm -hmm. i don't even think you do a really good job of paying uh homage to you know elliot ness um and and that's the thing it's like if this if this movie were a little bit more historically accurate, I think I'd admire it more. But like when you essentially just take the base characters and setting something so cool and colorful and original and you throw out the actual story and you substitute it, then I'm like, well, this better be a fucking barn burner. And it wasn't. It wasn't. It's it's OK. Like I said, I, I'm not. Oh, gosh. I, if you haven't seen this movie, I definitely recommend it because I think the first time you see it and you haven't, you know, um, and especially if you're not familiar with like some of the the quotes from the movie and whatnot, it it will blow you away. And and Sean Connery is a hell like this is maybe I don't know. I really like uh, Marco, his his uh, Captain Marco from Hunt for Odd October, but mm-hmm. might be the best thing he's done in his the late stage Connery career. It's possible. Yeah, uh, he's very good in it. I do wish he <laughs> he would occasionally change his accent in any of his movies like literally ever like you mentioned he's been all these different nationalities right um uh-huh. i find it what is an egyptian spaniard re- i egyptian know in spaniard. highlander he's yeah. not gonna change it for his egyptian spaniard there's no way you it, hire it, sean connery like, boy you don't want him to sound like someone different 
I just find it hilarious when you've got the actual like Irish police chief or whatever who's who's there doing an Irish accent, right. and then he is supposed to be Irish, right? Standing it's, it's across from point. that man doing a Scottish yeah. accent. Yeah, it's a plot point yeah. that he's Irish. So like, yeah, uh, yeah. I I do. It, it's hard to imagine getting an Oscar without even trying without even trying he showed up and said i'm sean connery i'll do whatever the hell i want and they gave the man an oscar for it it's weird yeah he definitely i mean he definitely acts his ass off and he does like old there's a glorious old man fight scene that i was really delighted in but you're right is if if accent work is a big part of your performance then you can definitely ding him but boy that that damns the leading man even harder. Like this is the one where oh, I don't think talk- Elliot <laughs> Ness has a particular accent to give, but like another international man of mystery when it comes to his his accents yes. is watch him, Kevin Costner. Watch him in Thirteenth Day. I think that's the name oh, of that God, movie. His Boston accent. Uh, uh-huh. the, the Prince of Thieves, legendary, <laughs> legendarily thieves. bad. Yeah, boy, they really crammed all the bad accents into one movie, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. He might isn't he supposed to be a southerner in in Dances with Wolves? I'm Probably. pretty sure he sounds like Kevin. That's the thing. I need I guess I need to go back and watch like Bull Durham, Dances with Wolves, Field of Dreams, like Pete, you know, before Kevin Costner kind of but this is, I think, in that era. This is like before he got to be a mega super duper bankroll in Waterworld and the postman kind of like full of himself. Which kind of killed his career up into, you know, up like post. I thing is like all post bodyguard and um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, dances with wolves. The kind of things go to shit. And it's kind of stayed in the shitter until, I guess, Yellowstone. Everyone loves him again. So, yeah, I, I wonder what kind of accent he's supposed to be doing. I mean, that's all in Wyoming, right? He's just going to do a he's, he's got a kind of a passable Midwestern accent, right? Sure, I, I don't, yeah. You know what? It. Where the fuck is Kevin Costner from? I'm going to find it's out. Probably right like Orange County. He was probably born in Orange Linwood, County, California. And... Sure. There you yeah. go. There you go. That explains it. Not surprising at all. He's got the default setting for American accent and it's stuck there. The switch has been broken. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. What do we um, this um, has a soundtrack by God, I'm going to sound like such a poser because every time I, I can never think of how to, to pronounce this guy's Ennio Marconi. Close enough. Yeah, um, he's Could the, guy the actual like, Italian man. Help me out here. Or? <laughs> uh, I don't know how to say his first name. Uh, I don't know if it's Ennio or Ennio. Um, but yeah, Morricone. Uh He's the guy that's known for the spaghetti western stuff. Yes. Oh yeah, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, he's just done so much stuff. Sure, um, sure. He just. Uh, oh, I said so we didn't do this, but uh, the he did the hateful eight soundtrack. He did uh, really? a lot of. Yeah, he did a lot of uh, Django Unchained because obviously Quentin Tarantino wanted that authentic, uh, wild west kind of uh, experience with the soundtrack. Um, except no substitutes yeah no he's he's legendary i think the main untouchables theme is really good uh i actually think most i i think all the music is good Mm -hmm. and i i really admire the way that 
Um, the soundtrack is not afraid to just completely withdraw or silence itself at key moments to kind of punctuate the the drama and suspense. Because there are some good, there's some some banger scenes like the <laughs> the 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 Canadian ride. I, was, I don't want to spoil anything, but the Canadian ride, uh, the first uh, warehouse raid, the um, the staircase works right up until it doesn't. The, yes, like right up until they actually start executing on the baby carriage segment Uh i think it's like soup and i think the soundtrack does a lot of that work and and about a third of that baby carriage thing works as well it's just like i said it's the rest of the movie uh (laughs) the rest of that scene is the rest of the movie it goes on so long yeah and also has a problem with like what is the ending if this movie feels another one that feels like it has like four or five endings because you know like the finding the bookkeeper feels kind of like an ending mm-hmm. um him throwing the dude off the building feels like an ending the actual end of the trial feels like an ending and then there's the actual kind of like you know him going and packing up his office in Chicago denouement that is the actual ending mm-hmm. um no, I, I, th- I like the movie, uh, the music in this movie a lot. I think um, th- they're doing some kind of like uh, lurid like horns that you would hear in like the 20s, right? Like uh, this kind of wah-wah stuff mm-hmm. uh, mixed in with almost like a ballad. It's It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I've not heard anything like it. And I think it works really well for this movie. Like I said, the main theme that dun yeah. dun dadalunt I think is is pretty cool um and distinctive and feels kind of like, you know, police proceduralish. Yeah. Uh, that too. But but high end. Uh what else I like all the, the Capone themed music. It's really good stuff. Um what else do we want to talk about before we get into the spoilers? In case people haven't seen this, what, thirty five year old film? Uh, I noticed you don't usually see this credit up front. Uh, this was an era where I, I want to say this clothing line was already very popular. This person, Giorgio Armani, is credited in the opening credits for Wardrobe. That hmm. really surprised me because that's usually reserved for like executive producers and stars and stuff. Um I read in some trivia that Robert De Niro tracked down Al Capone's original tailors. It was like Clothier mm-hmm. and had him make the silk suits and un- even underwear uh, mm-hmm. that like, you know, that I, and, and I is was is Giorgio Omar- Armani involved in that. Because, yeah, you're right. It Perhaps. is wild to kind of lead the lead with the costuming. But yeah, maybe there was some some uh, cash to past hands. Sure. And it was the 80s, uh, you know, the late 80s. The people were fascinated with Armani here in America. So true. Armani suits, baby. It's probably a lot of L.A. law, right? <laughs> isn't that L.A. law? Kind of, yeah. Isn't that the show that kind of made that stuff famous? Oh, I don't know. I never Everyone watched was it. obsessed with the suits of L.A. law. Hmm. I don't know. My mom. My mom liked it a lot. <laughs> my um, mom did, too. Yeah. I, yeah. I could never sit down and watch an episode of it, though. Yeah, it's just too. It's boring adult shit. But I mm-hmm. knew there was a lot of cute dudes and a lot of sexy stuff, and I think that's why my mom liked it. 
My right. mom actually unironic Kevin Costner fan. I know. One of maybe Every one time of her we worst do a crimes. Costner movie, I'm like, what is wrong? What the hell, man? He is extraordinarily good looking. Like, You're right. He's good looking. It's so good looking, in fact, that in this movie, they refuse to comb his hair even like Elliot Ness. Because Elliot Ness has a, a center part. Right. And that is center. not a good look ever for anyone. I don't care mm. how good looking you are. Yeah. Well, it, it's. Yeah, at least for men. I don't know about women's hairstyles. Uh, but boy, if you're a man, don't part your hair down the middle. And they refuse to in this movie. Damn, damn. Luke Skywalker in shambles over here. <laughs> yeah, I'm calling uh, him out. It's, it is a little bit is very Prince Valiant looking. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, <laughs> there's lots of dudes now feeling super fucking attacked. I rocked the middle part <laughs> from like grade four through eight. So I, I mean, had one, too, you know, for... A good this man had months. frosted tips at one point, so take it for for what it's Look, worth. We all made mistakes. Yeah, Brian De Palma directed this film. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I said it's not. Yeah, it's this on. isn't this isn't a terrible film. It's no. just a good film that I, for whatever reason, really elevated in my mind. Of like, and again, this was something I saw in my early kind of movie going career when I, you know, uh, anything that wasn't a PG thirteen comedy seemed like, oh my god, this is fucking Shakespeare, Jesus. Um. But I, I get yeah, this. This I think this film works. I think it's one of those things where if you watch it over and over and over again, um, you will start to pick up just organically, like just like yeah, the movie just feels like a drag. Like this wants to be an like a pulse pounding action thriller, and you know it also wastes time. Like oh, man, Patricia Clarkson. I feel sorry for her because she's saddled to one of these sad Kevin Costner wife roles where you're just supposed to be kind of like dutiful and worried about his safety and, and maybe give mm. a speech like, oh, Elliot, why can't you know, you're going to miss your daughter's birthday r r rolling around with these gangsters kind of stuff. And I like I said, I think it's a waste of time because Kevin Costner never does anything with the danger his family's in. No, like it never makes me think that, oh, my God, Elliot Ness, he was really is like being untouchable really meant something because they're like really pressing him up. Like I felt far more emotion. Well, not even then. Like he sucks when uh, I don't want to give spoilers. He sucks when different certain people die. Like it's amazing mm -hmm. how like just unwilling to emote or go <laughs> to any real place that he is. Maybe that's Elliot Ness, though. Maybe he's just famously reserved that way. Um do we have anything Some, that we want? Something tells me they didn't sweat that detail. So if it is, mm. it happens to be an accident that he's, yeah, unemotional in the face of these events. Uh, What I do, we, I, I've been trying to kick off the main part of this podcast for a while. Do we want to get yeah, there now or do we have mm -hmm. something else we want to talk about? All right. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. Here's what's new in premium content for our club members. This week, Jim's away, so the producer will play. That's right, it's time for another fabulous lunch with Talitha and Aaron. Not only do we have an alternate host lineup, we also are doing it on an alternate day. Lunch will be served on Wednesday. All that, plus the usual bullshit for me, served live or catch the podcast version out later that day. We're about a month out from the kickoff of Badass Fest 6, so get your tickets now while available at baldmove.com slash live. Come watch an outrageously badass mystery film with us. Grab another snack and beverage from the theater's fully stocked bar. Then get back in your seat for a live recording of the accompanying podcast. Get more info and tickets at baldmove.com slash live. 
If you want more Bald Move in your life, head over to support.baldmove.com to find out how you can get tons of bonus audio and video content, plus ad-free feeds. And now, back with more Bald Move. Uh, so Untouchables, if you haven't seen it, is a story of Elliot Ness, famed lawman. They call them Untouchables because they were unable to be bribed and bought off, unlike apparently every other law enforcement officer uh, of any this, city, up and, including th- the mayor of Chicago. This is not true, uh, according to what I read. Um, the Untouchables Elliot Ness is, is on the dole, on the take? No, 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 no. Not untrue oh. from that angle. But the Untouchables doesn't necessarily mean that they were untouchable because they couldn't be bribed. It was... They were deemed untouchable by a newspaper reporter who had uh, figured out that Al Capone was unwilling to attack. Uh, th- this this movie is completely fictional in that regard. Uh, Al Capone never touched a hair and never even tried to touch a hair on Elliot Ness's head or any of his guys' heads. I read that, yeah. Because he didn't he want to bring more heat down on him. It correctly <laughs> analyzed. Like everyone, every criminal has ever, every smart criminal has ever known, you start killing cops and... Yeah. Fucking real shit, you know? Yeah. So that is why the reporter called his group untouchables, which to me, I would be pissed off if I were Elliot Ness. Don't call us fucking untouchables. That's just going to provoke <laughs> right. this lunatic. Like, oh, untouchable. I'll show them fucking untouchables. Let's like, not let's not yeah. rile the guy whose brain is cooking in syphilis. Uh, uh-huh. Let's not get him all riled up. So, yeah, he he is brought in by the Treasury Department to infect to um, to uphold the Volstead Act. Um, the fact that, uh, you know, alcohol was illegal for a couple of years here in America and led to soaring crime and enrichment of criminals and rampant violence in the uh, city streets. Gee whiz, where can I find a modern parallel to such a policy? Hmm. Maybe Chicago. we'll never repeat those type of mistakes. Um, but anyway, yeah, he, he gets called to Chicago to bring Al Capone to justice. He quickly finds that every uh, every career cop in, in Chicago is on the dole. So he goes outside and finds like some outsider cops uh, to tote shotguns and bust whiskey stills in this movie. And he does that until he brings Al Capone to justice. The end. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about the movie. Um, I, I'm so I'm so confused. So I didn't look into the like real life aspect of this movie too much. Um, just kind of what I could glean from a couple of Wikipedia articles. But the movie starts off with a shaving scene with Robert De Niro, and he's giving press interviews. Uh, and he is not shy in any way about what he does for a living. He says, "You know, the people want it. I'm filling a demand." Everyone knows he's a bootlegger. How does he get away with this? Like, why do we have to go to tax evasion to get the guy who has openly admitted to breaking the law in jail? I don't know. Is that accurate that he is like, was that open about trafficking? Because I thought that he always maintained that he was a businessman. He's an importer. He does like, you know, he's he's essentially drop shipping stuff from from uh uh china and 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 making his money that way you know bringing in umbrellas and whatnot um sure i I don't know if that's a because you're right now i think if if it is true um it could be that just most people thought this should be legal and sure sure 
I also think that didn't didn't also Al Capone take great care to kind of like make sure his bread was buttered in the community like he you know did the whole uh-huh. turkeys at Thanksgiving and uh halfway houses for kids and he tried to you know use his money to buy kind of popularity as Goodwill, as insurance yeah. So, but you yeah, know, was, I get that. But wild. this movie doesn't portray it like that at all. This movie no. says, "Hey, he's giving interviews with the, at least citywide, perhaps national papers right. here, who are eating uh, it up, who are loving it, printing it on every page, and he's getting away with it. How? How? Yeah. I mean, and I know he's paying in, a lot of judges and cops and stuff, but boy, they also sneak in his barber cutting him, and like you can see, mm. like just a preview of that, like like you just like this volcano wrath, and then he's like, "What am I gonna do? Beat this guy to death in front of the?" Uh, right. It's, it's okay. It's okay. And he uh, wipes the blood off and 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 goes on. But um, I don't know. He also like I I feel like um, I don't know. There's this the this thesis. I think it's something I heard Dan Carlin say that like just America has like gangsterism in its bones. Like a lot of the the founding, I don't know how true this is because I've never actually fact checked this this Dan Carlin rant. But a lot of the founding fathers, particularly a lot of the Sons of Liberty, a lot of the tea being thrown into Boston Harbor was not so much over taxes, but over you know them wanting to protect essentially them running a black market and gray market in tea and getting <laughs> fucking rich off of it. And Boston changing their policy or uh, Britain changing their policies was going to threaten that threaten their money. Thus they, you know, like the whole, like, like there's a certain framing that says the whole revolution was essentially <laughs> to prop up this, this, this kind of criminal freebooting enterprise. I don't know if I believe all that, <laughs> but I do believe mm-hmm. that America does like gangsters. They do like this, yeah. like people that, the government tells them they can't do something and they say, fuck you, we can. And then they go and do it and they get rich off of it. Like, yeah, we rugged, like those stories. Rugged like individualism, right? Like, yeah, yeah. The indomitable spirit, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Like there's like been many cases of famous bank robbers where essentially the public is rooting for the people to just continue to rob the banks and, and get away forever. It's kind of a bummer when they're caught. So I don't I could see a bunch of Chicago newspapermen. They've got this, uh, you know, businessman who is uh, from an immigrant family and he's made some wealth and notoriety and the feds are cracking down on him for no good reason. And they like they you know, they like to go to a speakeasy and they like to blow off a little steam. And, mm-hmm. you know, why should? They? Yeah, I, I think I, I kind of buy that. I don't know if it's historical, but it felt like something that was plausible. Yeah, what a perfectly stupid idea to take something that people love and outlaw it. Uh, nobody's going to complain if you outlaw murder. Nobody's going to complain if you outlaw robbery. It's it's you know what what just an idiotic boneheaded idea. Well, it's so funny because like people are like, oh, you want to legalize drugs? What about heroin? What about meth? And like that was literally why they banned alcohol. Because have you seen someone die of alcohol poisoning? It's not fucking pretty. Do you know how many women and children get beat severely because of alcohol every fucking year? Do you know how many people get killed in drunk driving accidents still to this day? Like there's tons of societal evils that you can directly run a line back to alcohol abuse. Sure. But the cure is, in this case, worse than the disease, you know, because people are just not going to stop. You can tell people, hey, it's a bad idea to drink. You should drink. We should all be teetotalers. 
and apparently they'll nod their heads and they'll vote for it and they'll just keep drinking. And and it's it's a small minority of the population who engage in those behaviors, right? It's not like everyone right. who takes a drink becomes that person. It's not reefer madness, right? It's not. Right. Oh, you take but your I will first say that suddenly the, you're a criminal. The market could not would not be the same without the alcoholics because I've seen some shocking statistic like uh, something like 10 percent of Americans drink 75 percent of the alcohol in this country. Like okay. like 90 yeah. percent of Americans essentially have a drink on the weekends. I'll drink a beer. You know, they'll have a glass of wine when they're out with family. They'll drink a beer or two during the game. But then there's some Americans that have a case of beer every fucking day. They drink, you know, a, a liter and a half of fucking Tito's. Uh, and they are the ones that kind of prop up. So it's like, eh, it's, 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 it's kind of like cigarettes, you know, like they're knowingly killing their best customers and getting rich mm. off of it. It's like, again, I don't think it should be illegal, but only because yeah. again, the, you know, making it illegal seems to be impossible and there's a huge appetite for it. And a lot of people die when you do that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're not very good at hiding it in this movie. There's this uh, scene in the very beginning with uh, a laundry, a, a supposed like laundry facility on the corner that is apparently a very thinly veiled front for a bar. It's a, it's a speakeasy, I guess. Um, and they go in and they say, hey, do you want to buy our shitty beer? And he says no. And so they blow him up. Uh, I thought that was Boy, a soda they- fountain. Like an old school pharmacy that had like, you know, the guy would mix up. Uh, Is it really? Oh, maybe. Coca-Cola. He's probably serving Coca-Cola with actual cocaine, but he doesn't uh, want right, to Right, right, right. Yeah. So I guess yeah. he brings out the good stuff uh, after hours or something. I don't know. I don't think uh, he wants to. I, and I think that I that's the reason they're blowing him up. That they're trying to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're trying to, they're, they're, you know, they want him to buy this shitty low quality beer. And he's like, ah, it's not. Oh, the business. implication to me was that he was already serving alcohol. He just didn't want their uh, low quality shit. But okay. you, you could be right. Uh, that's probably a better interpretation. But there's a great scene where Kevin Costner is like lecturing his new men. These are not the men that he these are not the untouchables. These are just Chicago's finest. And he's saying, you know, I know many of you take a drink, but now we must be pure. And I want you to stop because it's against the law and we can't enforce the law. And like you can see the cops like looking skeptical because every single one of them like we see their cop club later and it's a wash in alcohol and booze. Mm-hmm. Um and to your openness of the fronts and whatnot, like, I think that's part of the story is that Chicago, like Al Capone has no fear of anyone fucking with him in Chicago. It's not yeah, until yeah. these, you know, feds come, these, 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 these fed goons in his mind come that he starts feeling the heat. And even then, not too much, because like, yeah, OK, he's one man. He's going to have to use local manpower. There's so many spies on the inside that, you know, like that, I think. Elliot Ness should have felt a chill run up his spine when he shows up to do his first raid and the photographer's there. Sure. Yeah. Put him on the cover of the newspaper. Right. He should have been like, how the fuck did this guy find out about my super secret raid that I just announced? Uh, Mm. You know, it's already spread to where this guy's waiting on the corner for it to happen. And but uh, I I feel like the movie takes on a new life when Sean Connery shows up. I love everything sure. about this old beat cop who, you know, Kevin Costner, he throws a fucking newspaper in the Chicago River. What an asshole. What? <laughs> I, was that, I don't know if that's ever acceptable behavior to just fucking litter like that. 
But Sean Connery is the cop that kind of like gives him medium amount of hassle. And I feel and there's like, you know, it's like uh, one's jurist my diction craps where like I think Kevin Costner initially takes offense that he's in the city awash in crime. And this this mm-hmm. this fucking cop comes by to bust him for littering and they get like up each other's back. But something in the conversation convinces Kevin Costner that this guy has actually got some moral and scruple and some grit. And just everything about that. I love Connery's performance of like this kind of like benevolent cop who's like just telling this guy, like, I'm not going to take you in, but like, just watch yourself. You know, don't fucking throw your shit in the the river. And Mm -hmm. then like him getting his dander up when like Coster comes up and is like, uh, give me your badge. Give me your name and badge number. And just like the way he kind of like it it mirrors exactly the shit test that he that he gives Andy Garcia at mm-hmm. the uh uh at the police academy you know like he seems like that's the thing it's like you just get somebody you want somebody who's quick to reach for their gun um because of the violence i guess i don't know sure i, I, yeah. I really like that scene though i do too yeah um accents aside i i think yeah he he definitely i'm not sure what he says maybe it's the fact that he's sean connery but something about his demeanor there and the interaction tells me that he's a decent cop. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because, you know, he has, by all rights, the opportunity to really bust Sean Connery here for for littering, right? Throwing newspapers in the Chicago River, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. And like, he, but he's also not like a pushover. I don't know. I, I, I really like Sean Connery in that scene, but I couldn't tell you exactly why. I mean, he's just very convincing at what he's trying to be, which is like a good because you also find out that, you know, this is this according to we own the city shit still going on. He's such a good cop. that He's been busted to the lowest level graveyard patrol, Mm -hmm. low level patrol shift in the city far away from doing anything actually effective. You know, he's just walking a beat. It's probably way away from all of Capone's speakeasies and all of his warehouses and all that kind of stuff, because he. Uh, has seen how much the corruption has swallowed up the police department and and uh, he's sick of it. It's probably a lot of racism involved in that, it seems like. Oh, I'm like, sure. I don't know if it's like that's just something he throws in as extra spice. But like, you know, one of the big beefs he has with the police captain is like, you know, you're letting the essentially Italian-Americans run this town. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> His interactions with Andy Garcia at first are, you know, they're designed by him to to get his goat, right? It's funny because we a lot of times we talk about movies not aging well, and it's usually in terms of like slurs that were like commonplace back in the day, but are like, oh, God, you wouldn't say you wouldn't say that nowadays. Um, Yeah, there's so many fucking ethnic slurs in this movie, but they're all towards Irish and Italian Americans. And like. You know, I'm a German American, I guess, uh, you know, we, we didn't we didn't really do anything bad in this country as far as I can tell. People hate us anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's no sting in that because we're all white now. Like, is right, this like right. one of those things where things age bad, goodly? That, you know, there's not I, really I a lot of so. stigma about being an Italian American or Irish American so that like no one really gives a shit yeah. that there's. I mean, I certainly don't take offense to it as someone with I Italian heritage. It's uh, like, does that like make your head snap about, about like, God damn, people really hated us back then or. Uh, no, I mean, I know, I know, you know, rough history, uh, of Italian immigration, so it's not surprising to me, 
right. to hear it. It's but it's also not very offensive to me to hear it because, like you said, pretty well integrated now. Uh, n- nobody really looks at an Italian person in this country and thinks too too poorly of them. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it's obviously a period piece too, right? That's portraying events like fifty years before the time it was made. So yeah. you kind of expect a lot of that language to to be in there. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it stings. It's funny though. It just shows you like how some races are able to move. Uh, so, some some uh, ethnicities and races and skin colors are able to like kind of move on in America. Like, because mm-hmm. I'm thinking like in 1986, you're about as far away from Al Capone's heyday. Uh, and not even that long from like, you know, it, it was like, what, in the 60s or so that the feds kind of like broke the mobs back with like the Rico acts and whatnot. Sure. You're about sure. as far away as like the civil rights mo- movement was. But like all of that shit is still like fucking nuclear. You could never, mm-hmm. you know, have a hero cop being like, damn, these blah, blahs and this and that when talking about like uh, Mexican-Americans or African-Americans. Sure. I, it's yeah it's probably got something to do with the skin color probably something to do with the skin <laughs> it's color. it's pretty obvious yeah yeah just it's, it's the old cloaking device um they one of the things i found kind of cheesy in this film that i didn't remember when i first watched is how the tax return issue is like in the very beginning like as soon as he mm. not even before he brings connery on board like this kind of like shrub, you know, this this schlubby little guy with glasses. He's like the team's accountant from the Treasury Department. And he's like, you know, Al Capone hasn't paid a final tax return since 1926. And like Kevin Costner plays as Max Obtuse. Like, well, you want to get Al Capone on a tax evasion issue? And they have that conversation like three more times where Kevin Costner's mm-hmm. like, I'm too busy juggling shotguns and killing people to pay attention to any of your fucking tax shit, dude. <laughs> what do you work for the Treasury Department or something? And uh, I just think it's like it's so wild because I guess, you know, that's the thing that Al Capone's famous for. Right. The fact that sure. they never got him on any of his illegal shit other than the fact that he didn't pay taxes on the vast fortune he's making. Um it just felt like a little too cute how often they hammered it on, uh, hammered it home, and how early it made it made Elliot Ness look like a fucking idiot. I thought, yeah, yeah, and that's like context to the movie, right? Because I, I guess like the way this all played out in real life was very different. They they were on him for tax evasion prior to any Elliot Ness activity. It wasn't like yeah. they sent him in and then they said, hey, we should also send an accountant with him, and the accountant figured it out. No, it's they were kind of onto him already. And Elliot Ness was there to shake the tree essentially um, to, to see what they could like a, to distract him B to, to start eroding some of the power he had in Chicago uh, by, by hurting his business. So he couldn't afford to pay all the payoffs to the judges, to right. the cops, to, to all the people he was paying, keeping him protected. Uh, that was more Ness's role. Ness really didn't have anything to do with like busting and busting him. Yeah, that's my which is crazy. Too, is that like his entirely separate team that was doing all this financial forensics that led to his downfall because all of the kicking down doors and pulling guns and interrogating people had just gone nowhere. Like Al Capone was way too careful, way too connected. And also mm-hmm. this took place like in an extraordinarily short period of time. Like this isn't like yeah, a 50 year yeah. war on drugs. Like 
the uh, the amendment like passed and was repealed within like what five years? I don't know. And incredibly, I think I think it took longer to fight World War Two than it did to like <laughs> ban and then unban alcohol. Um, yeah, and then Elliot Ness was only on the case for like a year, right? It wasn't even. It felt like it. Yeah, it felt like yeah, it, in this it was movie. like thirty-one or something. I don't know because they said like the the assassin that's another historical inaccuracy the assassin was not killed by Elliot Ness the assassin was killed by himself uh like 12 years after the trial which was in 43 uh so this must have taken place uh, at the latest in 31 is when the trial happened i guess prohibition lasted like 13 years it uh, went into effect in 20 1920 and wasn't repealed in, in, until 1933 so all right still Five times less long than we've been fighting the war on drugs, but but uh, it, uh, it was longer than I gave it gave it credit for. Uh, Sean Connery has almost all of the great dialogue that is memorable from this movie, or at least I mm. do. Like there's that thing about where he uh, grabs Elliot Ness and takes him to a church where they can, you know, be uh, have a conversation unobserved. And he talks about how, you know, Elliot Ness is almost too much of a Boy Scout to do this work. He's like, I don't know if you're committed, you know, the Chicago is like, uh, he's got that speech about, uh, if, if he pulls your knife, you pull a gun. He shins one of yours to the hospital. You shin his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. That's such a great fucking line. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, Oh man, they subvert it so well when they send the assassin to him. Cause he's got that triumphant moment where, you know, you get this great yeah. POV one shot of this guy sneaking through and just barely missing Connery. Uh, being one step behind Connery and then, you know, he's got him. He's winding up his uh, his, his gramophone or whatever the fuck you call it. And uh, from his POV, you see Connery whip around the shotgun. He's like, ah, you brought a knife to a gunfight. And it's such mm -hmm. a fucking crowning moment of awesome. He's got this guy flat footed. He's shitting his pants and he follows him out to the street and he gets fucking sunnied. He get he gets Bro, Sonny you brought a shotgun to a Tommy gun fight. What do you think? Yeah, <laughs> you brought a pump action to a to a, uh -huh. a full auto fight and gets completely ventilated. And that's, I think, another one of those great moments where mm -hmm. you had been. I guess they started to get touched the scene before, but the movie kind of conditions you to like, OK, well, they got one of theirs. And then now they're going to try again. But Sean Connery is too fucking smart, but he wasn't. And I, I thought that was that's that's, that's a grace note in the script. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I I really want to be a hero, Aaron. You know why? Why is that? Because bad guys die of a single gunshot. Heroes, it takes 50 of them and it, you live for a long time afterward. You're just you live like, for the dramatically appropriate time. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to be. I love that scene, though, where he's crawling to the paper, uh, you know, knowing that when Elliot and his his crew arrive, he'll be there to tell them this is where the bookkeeper is. Yeah, like I like he's like literally hanging on just long enough to pass his vital information because otherwise his life sacrifice would mean nothing, right? Yeah, no, uh, it's that's great. a great scene. And like I, it's kind of there's almost a comedic moment where <laughs> Kevin Costner doesn't can't figure out like what do you want? Do you want your rosary? Do you want this? Do you want Saint Michael's? And he's just like ah, throwing it away. Ah. Um, I do think Sean Connery's actual like when he's getting shot, the actual way he's. A, acting getting riddled with bullets 
is a little like Peter Griffin stubbing his his shin in the in, in Family Guy, where he's just kind of like, oh, ah, oh, you know, just that's been like they've seen it again. Peter's rocking like ah, uh. ah. It's like it felt like you know, not like a man who's suffering mortal damage. It's like a man mm-hmm. who walked into a hornet's nest or something. <laughs> it's hmm. just his death acting. Uh, his actual death acting was great. His getting shot acting, not not so much. Yeah, and this this what are you prepared to do line, right? right. Um, that he gives at the end of his death uh, scene. There, it's it's real powerful. Um, that stuff is great. It, it so this is all playing into Ness's change of heart that's being portrayed in this film, right? Where he is the freaking schoolboy at the beginning who's gonna yeah. do everything by the book, mm-hmm. refuses to get his hands dirty, uh, the way that Capone is getting his hands dirty, and by the end of the movie, he's had to do some of that, uh, to to bring down the bad guy, and that's basically what this movie is about. It's the the journey of Elliot Ness from. Uh, squeaky clean schoolboy to a slightly tarnished but successful lawman. Um, I I think it I think it mostly works, but I have I, there's a couple of scenes missing. I I wish he would have had a discussion with his fucking wife, right? Like, just sit down and and talk to her about like the internal anguish that he's going through. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it could have been really insightful into what he's thinking in any given moment. But I I don't know if no, it were I me I would have put another two minutes into this movie and had that scene, yeah. And just no, I agree. Like lay it all out. Like I'm I'm at a crossroads here. I'm I'm the guy who's charged with getting this dude. I can't get him unless I become a little piece of him. What what am I gonna do? You know, just right. Have that conversation. Yeah, because he does color outside the law outside the lines like you know you're not you're not allowed to summarily execute people you're not allowed to throw them off a building Um, and you're not allowed to lie to judges about them being on list to get them to swap juries right it's like yeah yeah um i think that works because it's one of those things where it feels like a hail mary kind of like in uh hunt Mm -hmm. for october where jack ryan does the like oh he always turns to the left at the bottom of the hour it's like he needed He needed something, an edge, and he got there. And like the fact that the judge, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, probably a lot of judges are in his pocket. So I'll throw it out there. Now I'll get fucked. Can you imagine like what a federal judge would do if you accused him of Mm -hmm. on your case? I guess he just dismisses the case. But like, yeah, it was it was kind of a high (laughs) risk, high reward, but it felt kind of of a piece, especially since he just got again, got gun throwing some dude off the roof. But yeah, it's. It's interesting because it could work in a few ways, right? His name could have actually been on that list and he is worried about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other way it could work is if he thinks that Ness is a corrupt federal agent who's willing to do Uh, anything, he could put his name on that list. Yeah. And then manufacture a bit of evidence against the judge. Uh, He's out of control. He did just throw a man off the roof of my courthouse. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, there's a few ways that could have gone and I found it. I found that interesting, uh, but but it's a culmination of an entire journey of a film, and I think it works. Yeah, I just wish there was a bit more insight into Elianess himself. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. And now, back with more Bald Move. What is the best Capone scene in this movie? 
Um, boy, I'm tempted to just say the baseball bat scene. I think you're. I'm, I'm not going to tempt you otherwise because I think that's the that's the highlight. That's why you bring yeah. Robert De Niro into this movie. Of course. And it's like what's great about it is I think the audience sees it coming from almost the very beginning. But the way everyone plays around the table is like everyone's just like this. Al Capone's mm-hmm. is giving this gregarious talk and he's like giving a, everybody a pep talk about how we got to be, you know, we got to come, you know, we're facing some real heat. We got to come together. And uh, it's still pretty brutal when he just like that first hit that they show like it just I don't know something cold blooded about, I think, beating a man to death. Uh, oh, yeah. Or he just goes to town on that guy, just tees off on him. And you can see like the uh, the table just like instantly turns. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the points made, well, they didn't have to, you know, like Al Capone doesn't even have to have it as a closing summation. Like, that's it. Everyone got <laughs> the message. Everyone understood. There was no follow up questions like, yeah, we're now in an all out war and we need to conduct ourselves as such. Yep. Uh, it's a pretty affecting scene. De Niro's perfect for it. I think, you know, De Niro always brings De Niro to every role he's in, mm-hmm. but there mm-hmm. are, there are different shades to it. And I think this one is a little bit more it, 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 suppressed insanity. You know, I, I, there, there's something in his Al Capone here that I like, and it's maybe not quite as nuanced and good as Stephen Graham's Al Capone, mm-hmm. but it is different than, let's say, the stuff he was doing in The Godfather, right? Or or any of his other gangster films, um, Casino. It he he has a few different gears of this type of character. Agreed, and I. I guess like that that sort of insanity came through even when he's smiling, right? Like especially when he's smiling and laughing it up with reporters cuz you know yeah. this is not a man who is what he's claiming to be in those scenes. Yeah, this is the mask. This is the superhero outfit that he wears to to um or I guess I guess it would be the Clark Kent outfit he wears to to mask what is really going on underneath. And and what a small portion of his empire is taken out in this uh, raid and right. the severe reaction that he has. Right. Uh, the, the outsized reaction is just frightening. I, guess. I thought that of all the stuff, like um, even the, the Canadian raid, which I think is the best action sequence in the movie. Mm-hmm. What is that? Three boxcars full of booze. What is that? Yeah. Like one night, uh, one good night for four or five nightclubs. Mm hmm. Like, there's no fucking way that that was a bit like the it's it's more of like, I think um, it, it felt personal like this, like, you know, like, sure. like, I think the real life Al Capone would be like, hey, you know, we're making money hand over fist. We can absorb this. They don't got nothing on us. We'll just keep on, you know, be a little bit more careful. We'll change your routes up. But like the fact that this was like Ahab and the whale, like the second. Yeah. That, um, and I think that's one thing that Elliot Ness did really well when he went and like con- directly confronted Capone and made it personal, made it into a two man contest is like in this movie, it kind of baits Capone into making bigger and bigger mistakes. Yeah. yeah all those lines about like it yeah. ain't over till it's over and right. Last man standing kind of stuff. Yeah. Price it makes it personal. It, yeah. I, yeah. I think it's also a bit of movie making concerns. It's like, well, 
we can't have the caravan of booze, I guess, go across the Canadian border. Let's get three trucks. Let's call this a bus, a big bus. Because mm. um, there are some very... There are some scenes that are hamstrung a little bit by the movie quality of this. Uh, like, I have never seen a worse looking... Or, I guess hmm. I should say, I've never seen a more soundstage looking airplane shot than in this movie there's a shot of elliot ness in an airplane where they they come out the window right they're sitting in the window and it's wallace uh, trying to get him on board with the tax evasion stuff again he's just like go to sleep or whatever uh and then the camera pulls out from that window and you see they're in an airplane and the sky behind them at sky quote unquote is just pitch black there's nothing in it, right? You can tell it's obviously a soundstage. They're doing an obvious dolly shot. Mm. Uh, on th- The camera is not moving to give any sense of motion to the thing. The rig that they're sitting in isn't moving. It's all just like so obviously movie staged. I, I don't know if that's like De Palma trying to capture a time in filmmaking. Might or be, because I Or if I that's just like that. negligence, but... It seemed really weird and out of place. Maybe they spent so much money on the exterior of like tr- these big transformational things they did to like the exterior of Chicago that because like all of the indoor scenes, I thought with ex- some exception of like Al Capone in the big because those are obviously he's in a big fancy uh, Chicago uh, uh, hotel lobby. Right. And a couple mm-hmm. of those scenes. I thought all of the scenes that weren't that or outdoors felt very soundstagey. That cabin felt very soundstagey. Oh yeah. Uh, and I just saw I just saw two weeks ago Hateful Eight, which has one of the most soundstagey cabins of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. Elliot Ness's office in the police department, the police's um, you know the FOP speakeasy, like all that stuff felt like if the camera pans six inches up, you would see the lights and the you know like it, it's sure. just it, it felt. It felt it felt very old Hollywood in that way. Yeah, yeah. and I, I thought it, and also for, for. A, again for Brian De Palma, this is a new Hollywood auteur dude that's known for like pretty fancy camera work and whatnot. Uh, it was very locked down. The only thing that seemed like they were having much fun was that one scene, the POV scene of the uh, the the would be assassin, the knife wielding assassin. Uh, everything else, and there was one other fancy shot. Eh, I don't know where they I'm did not a sure split. I agree with that, but. Okay. Really? Where were the where'd you where were the like really I mean, the movie inspired? starts with one. The movie Yeah, I mean it's look, I'm not gonna say there's anything awe inspiring okay. in this movie, where but the, it the, starts the with the overhead crane shot over Al Capone getting shaved, yeah. Yeah, there there's a lot of there's a lot of style in this movie. In some places too much. Like I mentioned the baby carriage union station scene, I think is too much. Um I, I think there's definitely a De Palma style sticking out, but it's it's almost distracting in this movie. Better than, more than it is servicing the film, I thought. Did you notice anything odd about the scene of Costner and Connery in the church? You know, I mentioned that the, if he pulls a knife, they, you pull a gun. Cause like, anything odd? No. Yeah, I noticed that there's like this weird like kind of halo effect where Costner and Sean Connery both in focus and some of the background was like, cause we, we just talked about the, the deep focus of citizen Kane and this is so bizarre. It's like half of the background was out of focus. Half of it was razor sharp. Costner was razor sharp. Carney was razor sharp. But he had this, apparently this is hmm. he, that um, the Palma used this technique called a split focus where you actually glue or attach a convex mirror on, I'm sorry, a convex, um, 
Uh, what do lens? they call camera glasses? Lens, uh, lens, lens. Uh-huh. Uh, to the front, like like you'd put a pair of glasses on a camera and you put on one side of it so that you can actually have half of the light getting focused in one area, half the light not. And they do. De Palma is, I guess, famous for this. Um, hmm. That's how he did the Ethan Hunt slowly coming down on that guy who's has the diarrhea problem in Mission Impossible. <laughs> like that, he's in focus even though he's like twenty feet in the air. The computer tech is in focus, but all the background is in like soft focus. So it just like it's a way to wow. emphasize. Usually, it's a way to emphasize uh, the extreme foreground and background, and also have the rest of the details kind of like. So it's like you, you, your eyes have to be drawn to these two locations or it's to highlight extreme differences in, you know, like the build tension of something happening in the background is going to slowly come to the foreground. This didn't do any of that stuff. It was literally guys sitting shoulder to shoulder and it gave like a weird kind of un, I thought it gave like a dreamy kind of quality to it, you know, huh? Uh, like an old I didn't soap it. opera that's that's filming like a flashback sequence and the background's all kind of hazy and dreamy and I don't uh-huh. know I it's so you're right he was doing some fancy stuff it's just I don't know I thought it's it's, it's either distracting or it felt like you know again the the Al Capone shot I for, keep completely forgot about that it's at the very beginning of the movie most of the stuff where you're doing dialogue and like even the action scenes were I thought I don't know I thought they were pretty pedestrian there, there's a big Maybe I'm being unfair there's a big wonder uh yeah and then you, you talked about it in Sean Connery's house right I thought that mm-hmm. was pretty impressive was I guess for 88 yeah. not bad and with the soundtrack and with the the POV tight mm-hmm. on the assassin, it did do a good job of building tension. Yeah. I even think the final scene, uh, I don't think we're ready to talk about that. I don't want to talk about the staircase scene yet. Um, okay. <laughs> I do want to talk about the, like, again, my favorite moment, which is the U.S. cooperation with the Canadian Mounties to, you know, to, to bust this Canadian whiskey thing coming into the country. And there's this great, like, you know, Sean Connery being the team dad, he's telling mm-hmm. people, Oh, you're cold. Strap your feet. And he sits down and he starts <laughs> peeling off pieces of summer sausage. And the, I, I find the way that Sean Connery eats food to be so <laughs> fascinating. He like chews food with his lips. I, mm-hmm. I don't think the man has molars. He, he masticates food with his, just, just, just stiff, Scottish lips. He just. Yeah. Compression um, force on those lips is off the charts, man. I, right. It's like it's like the it's, he's got the bite force of a T-Rex, but it's all it's all spread across <laughs> his, his gums and his, his, his lips. Yeah. Watch um, him eat. Uh, is it pork chops? Is it actually pork chops? I think it's a plate of it? pork chops in okay. the hunt October. Yeah. Yeah. Watch him eat those. My God. Yeah, and again, I don't think he stage eats. Maybe that's why he chooses his. That, that's how he tr- tricks you into thinking he's actually chewing and swallowing stuff. Yeah, um, but uh, he's like I, a good I, magician, right? Waving his lips to distract you from the fact that he's not of, actually eating. It's all sleight of lip, man. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I think it's really like the the fact that it's like this is a horseback charge. Like it feels like you know, like a wild west. I love the accountant being forced to go Rambo when this team sharpshooter gets, goes down and he's just mm-hmm. like, sir, you know, just pumping all these rounds in the dudes. And then his, he runs out of ammo and the other guy's Tommy gun jams and he goes up there and does essentially a bayonet charge. And then he's like <laughs> looking pleased with himself, but the, then him going to get the drink, you know, cause the, these barrels have been shot up and there's like one spitting out, 
uh, probably rot gut whiskey and he like drinks right out of it. I thought that's really good. And he's I think he's my favorite member of the team. Wallace. All right. Yeah, he's got so much personality. And I remember being like genuinely outraged when just a few scenes Mm -hmm. later uh they 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 kill him and you know write that touchable yeah. stuff on him um but yeah i thought andy garcia when i first saw andy garcia i'm like he's fucking magnetic i'm gonna love this guy in this movie yeah and they don't do anything with him they waste they, andy garcia in this role i they think they really do he's just a he's like the team sharpshooter and that's cool mm-hmm. but i think this introductory sequence is so wildly entertaining and it's kind of like yeah like like in Ocean's Eleven, it felt like in Ocean's Eleven if like they introduced Matt Damon with like, oh, best pull, best lift I've seen. You know, it's like you really build up. But then like Matt Damon has nothing else to do in the picture. Uh-huh. Um, except for maybe one line here, one line there. Um, yeah. But um, no, I, I then, can you tell me why the Canadians charge? Because I'm are they just like are they painting a picture of a Canadian army that has nothing to do and just I, desperately wants to do something? Yeah, is that Canadian slander that like these people they they don't have any real they don't have any real crime to deal with. So like when the Americans I mean, with their guns, they get all excited. Why and, is that slander? My god, isn't that what we all hope for sure, our country? Right. Like we don't yeah. have enough crime to warrant having a large standing army or police force. So let's just fucking Yeah. Let's just enjoy that. You know? No, it just did seem like they were in it's like just incompetence, like poor discipline is what it felt like. Yeah. Um, but that's like so the I think this is the best action scene and in in, in Neomar he really turns up the the da 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 does like really pulse pounding music. And then the mm-hmm. aftermath of this where you know they've had because multiple individual shootouts have happened, and Elliot Ness gets one in the cabin, and there's this guy that's dead on the porch, and they bring the accountant's handler in and they're interrogating him. He's like, you know, being real tough. I ain't telling you coppers nothing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't give a shit. And Connery plays the bad cop. And I just think it's a gr- it's so funny and it is grim, grisly kind of way. Yes. I, maybe the best part it's of amazing. the movie mm-hmm. where Kevin Costner like kicks him out. Elliot Ness kicks him out. It's like, you got to cool down. You can't like, you know, be violating this guy's civil rights in front of the Canadians. And so they continue to kind of try to good cop this guy. And Sean Connery goes out in front porch, sees his dead body, grabs him. He's like, all right. Tough guy. I'm going to give you the count of three to tell me where this accountant is. And he's oh, can't talk with a gun in your mouth. And he just (laughs) blows this guy's dead brains all over the window, like in front of this guy. And then they cut back Mm -hmm. to the guys like, okay, okay, I'll talk. I'll tell you anything you want, because he didn't think, you know, he thought that they wouldn't just kill him in cold blood. Um, (laughs) Right. Oh, and then the Canadian, the Mountie, Mr. Ness. I must say, I do not approve of your methods and his kind of rile. <laughs> oh, you don't. You're not from Chicago. Uh huh. Yeah. I love oh, it. it's so good. It's so good. And that's the thing that makes Wallace is art particularly tragic. It's like he's got this swagger coming out of like, you know, he's been this bookkeeper, mm-hmm. you know, carries a badge. Now he's carrying a gun. He actually fucking, you know, doomslayer this this gun rain. And you can kind of tell it's gone to his head. He's going to escort this criminal to or this this prisoner down to central. I don't know. Booking. I don't know. Whatever. And he gets he gets shot because, you know, I don't know. It felt really it felt really bad. Um, but I guess that's the, yeah. the, the, the thing is, it's like when I was watching this, it felt very 
kind of paint by numbers is like as aware of the act structure is like oh here they are now mm-hmm. at their lowest point you right. know the guys um, are getting killed their methods they, are are starting to be tested right you know you right. want to play it by the book well what happens when this is how the other side plays right and that leads up and then the, the turning point is sean connery with the what are you prepared to do as he's dying yep i guess we should talk about the train scene because yeah. I think this is borderline Hitchcockian in how it builds the tension mm-hmm. and it's ruined by Brian De Palma doing an extended homage to this silent 1920s film Battleship Potemkin, which I've never seen. I, and I, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Homage. Also, I just took a flyer on it. I've seen that written a bunch of times. Potemkin sounds right. I think it's right. Potem- yeah. But it's it's right. Who knows? Um, I actually watched that scene. Because I'm oh, like, okay. what is this thing? It's this famous scene that's set on there's this famous steps in Ukraine at one of their ports. Um, I can't, can't remember this. The name Odessa. That's it. Where it goes from like the ports this big staircase. It's like 100 feet wide and it goes up like, I don't know how many flights of stairs. And it goes. It takes you from the port to the central city. And there's a scene in Battleship Potemkin, which is about the beginning of the Red Revolution. And this one battleship has um, mutinied against the czar's imperial fleet commanders or whatever. And they have a whole bunch of Russian army come to the city to like take retake control of the battleship and to pacify because like there's been a whole bunch of rabble rousing and stuff going on. And there's a scene of like the soldiers at the top ride horses with rifles and like all the civilians start screaming in panic and running down the steps. And then there's also troops at the bottom that are shooting them and they're just being herded in the slaughter. And this thing goes on for like six minutes. It's like this, like just really grim, brutal, black and white, silent Hmm. of like mother seeing her child. Like there's like a four year old boy who gets knocked down and just trampled. You see people stepping on like, you know, it's, you know, it's obviously like you just see it inside a shot of some dude stepping on a little kid's hand. And, um, and you see the mother's reaction, but then there is a baby carriage that looks exactly like the baby carriage of this. And the mother gets shot. And as she spins around and, and her, her butt bumps the handle, just like Kevin Costner's and it sends it. And it's like, they just filmed this baby. It's, it's, it's almost shot for shot. But it what it doesn't do is it doesn't like every time it goes to the baby's POV because there's this weird camera. You're right. The Palma does have some inventive camera angles. They got the baby (laughs) cam that's locked over the (laughs) pram as this kid's going down, getting jostled. And the cam, the the music kind of slows down and plays like nursery rhyme music, like this something that would play in a mobile Mm -hmm. above a baby's head. And it keeps on going back and forth to like all oh, like these sailors getting shot, gouts of blood are coming out of their chest and everything's in slow motion. And and Kevin Costner, who's the only reason he's in this fucking predicament in the first place, is because he's such a fucking Boy Scout. He's on this high stake stakeout, but he can't stand to see this lady struggling with his pram. You're I was laughing, too, because every time they come, they shoot this baby. Like uh-huh. just just chilling out in his pram, bouncing down like I it just it's the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. Yeah, it's something about the the staginess of it too, like where it there's there's uh, the physics just don't work this way. This this thing's gonna topple over on the first step. It's not like it's gonna perfectly roll down these stairs. And and so look in Battleship Potemkin, what I assume they're doing because I haven't seen it is they're probably making a point 
with their gratuity, right? Like they're 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 trying to it's, say, like, look how evil and horrible and terrible it's this underlining is. Underlining the horror of the situation for both for for everyone. Like everyone seeing right. this happen and being in this, like, yeah. And that's why it goes on so long. In this and there's it no goes relief. on this and long Andy because Garcia, that scene went on that long. Right? Yes. It it has nothing to do with the action that's taking place. It's it's simply style. It's simply homage. And it's not it doesn't work. It does not work. It should I have been agree. cut. Like, Especially not since, the whole scene, but cut way down. Just chop it. Yeah, you can have your homage, but it doesn't have to be so goddamn uh-huh. long. And again, and it's the, so literal. <laughs> as you mentioned, the scene in Potemkin works because it is underlying the horror. And there's not going to be an Andy Garcia mm. sliding in to save the kid. Right, with the gun. right. Like, and that's it's the other thing. Going, they pull the punch, right? Right. It's just it's just this is the horror of this brutal, repressive regime trying to hang on to power against the popular will of the people. And in this, it's just like it. I thought it's like whatever. It's like, oh, he's playing. A, he's paying homage. But like when I saw the scene in context, I'm like, that's kind of disrespectful. It's uh, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm c- kind of like it'd be like using any other uh, revolutionary period of time to like make essentially a good joke. You know, like I'm putting like like yeah, putting a just... Martin Luther King speech in like a naked gun. It's like, oh, I don't know if you guys got to do that. I So and I don't why, know. I, why pull the punch at the end? Why have the kid be saved? Like, yeah, why not? Body? Why not ca- have it be a collateral damage? Have it be a thing where like Elliot Ness has started to turn to the darker ways to right. get this this guy and there is collateral damage from that. There's fallout well, from the good the guys little... acting in bad ways and they and that's the thing. I'm going back to the beginning of the movie because I know that's where you're going too. They've already blown up a kid. Yeah, look, Laura from Little House on the Prairie stumbled in from the cabin <laughs> and got blown up in the beginning of this movie. But we can't have like this this kid because like bullets are going through this kid's bassinet, pram, baby stroller, whatever. Like it's mm-hmm. like I don't know. It, that that does feel like a pulled punch and. I do know that this is supposedly one of De Palma's things. Like he tries, it's like one of his hallmarks is he puts like a little famous scene from another movie into a lot of his movies. I don't know if all of them. And hmm. now I need to go back and watch a bunch more of his stuff to see like where all this stuff is happening. But like, man, it just feels like the wrong thing to pull in the wrong context and a movie that already was struggling with pacing. And that scene was just so fucking um, so tense up to that point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and all the tension just gets just gets blood bled the second everyone starts firing and the baby starts falling down the and it's the, why the I start thing. laughing because I need to release the tension right it, it yeah I guess so I, <laughs> yeah I don't know uh, not a great scene it's the scene that yeah. everybody remembers though which is the shame of it yeah it's like if you remember one scene from this movie it's that scene sure sure um pretty ballsy to bribe the entire jury oh yeah. And like, to have the guy who bribed them bring a note saying exactly saying how much he, he bribed into the them with into the poc- courtroom. Yeah. As his pockets are bulging with this heater that, you know, he's just, that, that you can clearly mm-hmm. see. Um, I don't know. But the, the, the also the movie kind of makes this point in passing that like how far the corruption in Chicago at the time goes up. Like they imply that the mayor is on the take. You know, this guy had a personal note from the mayor saying mm-hmm. that he can take a gun wherever he wants and do as he pleases. But I feel like the movie also doesn't touch on that stuff. 
You know, I've, I've like, I don't know. The movie's oddly yeah. incurious about its subject matter in, in a lot of ways. And I don't know, maybe you just can't tell a Elliot Ness Al Capone story in in two hours unless you take huge liberties and you simplify things and you do all that stuff. Um, you know, unless mm-hmm. you're going to do an inglorious bastards route where they just have a shootout and they kill Capone in, in cold blood in the hotel lobby or something. You got to eventually get to the kind of anti-climax, the real life anti-climax of bringing this guy down on tax evasion. Yeah. Yeah. It's not flashy in the end. Yeah, maybe 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 it's uh, you can only do this if you do it over a long running series played by Robert Stack. You said the guy, uh, the, the 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 unsolved mystery guy. Sure. I don't know, because like I said, I mean, it's it's telling that the um, the really good Al Capone portrayals I've seen have been long form where like, you know, Stephen Graham gets hours to play Al Capone mm-hmm. and you see him when he's young and you see him when he's you know going through an insane I like Tom Hardy's. I forget what the yeah. that that one where he's playing old man Capone going bankrupt, losing his mind, his last like there's like you can you either have to take a long form approach at his entire life or you can take like little tiny moments. But they're trying to take like, I think, probably years of stuff compressing into a single movie. It just doesn't quite work um, again. It is a fun movie, but it's a mm-hmm. it's 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 a little bit plotting for most movies I would call fun there are i think big pacing problems there's one is weird things where i feel like this movie needs to be it's an uncomfortable link that needs to be like two and a half hours and they need to take their time and to get even more deep and really totally. build up the tension and build the camaraderie and and the dynamicism between the team so you actually feel something because mm-hmm. oh i i feel almost nothing when they killed wallace and i felt like Coster just really plays things very close to the vest. Like even when Sean Connery's dead, like he's definitely acting out and moping and he has his angry outburst at Capone, but like grief. No, I, I'm not getting yeah, it. I'm, I'm not, with you. So the movie no, could have been 90 minutes and just really move, 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 <laughs> or it could have been at uh-huh. two and a half hours and taken a little bit more at, but at two hours, it's like, oof, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Uh, I don't, I I probably would say this about most of Costner's roles, but I don't know that Costner was the right choice for this performance. (laughs) Like that courtroom scene, man, when he like what's supposed to be the climax of the film and and Costner is supposed to get his most badass line. He's in Capone's face and they give him a line that's weak. A so the writing doesn't help him there, but B. Costner just can't hold a candle to the intensity of De Niro. I when he tries to smack talk De Niro in that final courtroom scene is bad. It it comes across as so weak. It comes across as like a, a child trying to talk to, uh, I don't know, a, a military general like because I, I don't know. They, they I told you the milk wasn't expired. <laughs> what? No, it is just it's so weak. It's so like and De Niro is so powerful in that scene, even though he is like brought low. He's still got the gravitas. He's still got he's taken on the whole court. Like he's like, this is you call this justice. You call he he reminded me of um, Tom Hagen, Tom Hagen in Godfather 2, where uh, the the uh, congressional hearing has collapsed. Their star witness has made him a clown. And now Tom Hagen standing up and just being like, is 
you know, you, 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 my client demands an apology. You should apologize. Says he's like attacking the court. Um, yeah. and yeah, Kevin Costner comes up and is like, he's like mealy mouth with it. The yeah. soundtrack is stepping on him. The same exact problem that fucked up the, you know, cause like, oh, your friend died like a screaming Irish pig. And Costner throws this dude off the building and he has this what should be a badass. Like, do you sound anything like this guy screaming all the way down? He's like, do you sound anything like that? But like the camera work, the soundtrack, (laughs) the guy screaming, it's like the moment gets missed in a weird way. I I like that moment better than I liked his moment with De Niro at the end. But yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's a bummer. I like I said, I rem- I have very fond memories of liking this film, and I, it's almost like it's not quite as bad as like going back and watching like Transformers or GI Joe, and like oh man, this used to be like oh this is this makes me feel dumb for watching it. It's not quite that bad, but <laughs> no, it's just like no. I definitely feel Roger Ebert's two star review. This feels yep. more like a two star review. You know what we need to do? We need to give our uh, executive producers a slate of Costner. We need to throw up like Dances with Wolves, Field of Dreams and Bull Durham and <laughs> oh, and God. have them choose the best Costner film for us to actually be like, OK, let's fairly evaluate Costner at his at his at his height. Well, then you we know? have to put Waterworld on there, too, obviously. No, we already did. Number one, we already did Waterworld. <laughs> the Postman? That is the far. Postman. The Postman. But that's that's you see if the, if the if the Postman wins and it probably would like that, I'd get yeah, bloated yeah. late stage losing his great hair kevin costner yeah I, I, no, i've seen i like bodyguard i think jfk is good but it's good yeah. despite kevin costner i think 13 <laughs> days is really good but it's uh-huh. really good despite kevin costner mm-hmm. so like i've enjoyed some of his movies it's just uh it, it feels like anyone besides kevin costner would be an immediate improvement I'm yeah he, sure he, ever kevin costner about, is the hero actor you bring in when you want your bad guys to really shine because <laughs> because you have nowhere else to look right like right. if dennis hopper isn't chewing the scenery in Waterworld, i don't enjoy right. that movie nearly as much god that's a good take because like he's just against a rogues gallery in jfk too you got uh, oh yeah tommy lee yeah. jones vamping you got joe pesci you got uh-huh uh, you got uh, uh dennis nedry in there he's he doesn't get a lot of time Right, uh, yeah. No, there's a lot of there's John there's a, Goodman. Yeah. Is he in that? John He's Goodman that, right? is yeah. super good in that. I was trying to think. Um, Kevin Bacon is really good in that. But the one I'm thinking oh, right. the 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 linchpin of the whole movie is Donald Sutherland. Donald oh, Sutherland, yeah, yeah. As the CIA kind of guy, yeah. No, I, I again, I've I've liked a lot of Kevin Costner movies, but I've never seen one. I'm like, God damn, Kevin Costner knocked it out of the park. We need to we need to get to mm-hmm. the bottom of this. I feel like Jim. I do like his uh, last line in this movie. the The closing moment is good. Great. They ask him. Uh, they say they're going to repeal prohibition. What will you do then? And Costner replies, "I think I'll have a drink." Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, which is. I don't know. It's really I it's there's right? something kind of funny and <laughs> ironic about that, too. Like, take a step back. You know, there's something the, really fucked up about you it. You have lost so many friends and colleagues mm-hmm. over this war to where I think a normal person would feel a certain way about alcohol, even if they didn't feel that way to begin with. And like, oh, it's all, it's like, oh, I guess because uh, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's like, that's the thing. You don't want to enforce laws that are purely just kind of like laws. Right. You want oh, to have right, like right. the average person sh- on the street should be like, yeah, that's a fucking crime if you're convicting somebody of it. Uh, 
<laughs> that's these these all. I guess that's all a vice crime is like. Nah, yeah, there's I, like it, it, it seems like the, the crimes that, that get fucked up on are there's a gap between what people enjoy and what people are comfortable admitting that they enjoy. Sure. Like sure. apparently people love paying for sex. Nobody actually does it, though. If you if you line them up, mask right, them. people right. love porn. People love drugs. People love alcohol. People love gray market Cuban cigars. Nobody wants to admit <laughs> sure. doing them. And like when you have that gap of like a popular thing that no one wants to 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 stump for in public, that's where you have have these like crazy shit um, shit laws that get passed that cause a bunch of violence and stuff in the streets. Anyway. Mm-hmm. All right, next week, uh, we gave our executive producers a slate of three films, The Burbs, Sex, oh. Lies, and Videotape, and Days of Thunder uh, to select. And they selected Days of Thunder. That'll be our prestige, the Tom Cruise NASCAR film. Be our next uh-huh. prestige our next prestige movie. Don't you forget it. It's Robert you Duvall. Like- you laugh. Robert Duvall's in this. He wouldn't do anything but prestige. Michael Rooker is in it. There's a bunch. There's a there's oh, a bunch yeah. bunch of names mm-hmm. in this film. Um, you, we will be back next week to talk about Days of Thunder. Vroom vroom. If you want to get a part of our, do you want to be one of our executive producers to call some of these shots of what movies we cover? Uh, become a supporter. Support.baldmove.com to find out how you can join the club and be a member of the executive committee, executive producer team. We'll be back for Days of Thunder next week. Until then, I'm your host Aaron, and I'm Jim. See ya.